Nigeria. It's a beautiful song. And I love the lyrics there at the last part when it says, uh, when the children leave their Sunday school with smiles, and then it says, uh, when they're old enough to teach and old enough to preach and old enough to lead. And it just makes me remember all those who invested in my life as a child and to know that I'm doing what I'm doing now because so many faithful saints uh, from years past had uh, had loved on me and taught me and um, Sunday school teachers and so forth. And, and then it just made me think about this last Sunday. We had our children's service, youth service. And uh, how many of the kids are here and they're leaving their Sunday school with smiles every week because of so many of you all. You're faithful and you're, you're praying and you're teaching and you're loving on the children of this church and uh, raising them up so that when they're old enough to teach and old enough to preach, uh, like uh, David was last week, uh, we're, we're seeing how we're making an eternal investment when we invest in the lives of children. And uh, it's just a perfect segue into our text this morning, which is Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. Our sermon title is Jesus Loves the Little Children. And it is a timely message in light of last week's service. Um, again, thank you all who participated in that. Thank you all who labored so hard putting those, uh, those songs together and all that, that took place last week. It was very moving, very touching. Um, it's just exciting to see that the future of God's church, um, wherever that might be, is in good hands uh, because He is faithful to raise up a generation so we look at our text this morning and we see in this passage a familiar story. It is the story of Jesus blessing the children. And uh, it's, it's a story that we, we see the way that Jesus reacts to and the way Jesus treats uh, the little children. And it's a very moving and it's a very touching thing going on there. But I want us to look at this passage this morning maybe in a different way than we have looked at it in the past. And we need to recognize there's something more at stake in this text than just sentimental value. Something more is going on here than just saying, well, isn't that sweet the way Jesus is treating these kids? And so we need to treat kids the same way, although that is true. I think that comes forward from this passage, but there is also something more, something a little deeper going on here. And I want us to recognize that. Now, over the last several weeks, we've been studying this uh, passage of Scripture from the book of Mark. And we've seen from the end of chapter 8 all the way through the end of chapter 10, the theme of discipleship has been dominant. What it means to be a follower of Jesus. And we've seen already Jesus talking about uh, the cross. And, and we've seen how he is expecting the cross and moving towards the cross. And he's trying to prepare his followers to live in light of what is about to happen on the cross. So with that in mind, we come to this passage of Scripture this morning, and I believe it's telling us that you and I need to receive the gift of eternal life by humbly acknowledging our need for Jesus. Like the little children of this story, we need to humbly acknowledge our need for Jesus. And through that humble acknowledgement, receive that free gift of eternal life that only comes through following Jesus. I want to ask you to please stand with me if you're able to this morning in reverence for the reading of the Holy Word of God. <clears throat> We're in Mark chapter 10 starting at verse 13 and here Mark writes these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 
And they were bringing children to him so that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. And he said to them, Permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. And he took them in his arms and began blessing them, laying his hands on them. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we come into your presence again at this time. We thank you for the blessing of this gathering. Lord, we thank you that your presence is here and for what you have already done in our hearts and what you have already done in our lives as a result of our time together. But Father, we also come this morning opening your word Uh, expecting to hear from you, God, expecting the the power of your word to to break forth so that, God, we might know you better and we might have a more accurate understanding of truth, but, Lord, that this truth might also transform us, that we might be more conformed to the image of Christ. And it is only your word that has the power to do that. And so, God, we come with humble submission to what your word is saying this morning, believing, God, that the Holy Spirit is breathing out through this text a truth that is eternal. And Father, like the little children of the story, let us humbly acknowledge our need that we are dependent creatures, dependent on you, dependent and praying with expectation, Father, that you would meet our deepest needs. And Father, prepare our hearts for what you have in store this morning. We ask this in Jesus' blessed name. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. We come to our story this morning found in Mark's Gospel, and it is immediately after the context of teaching on marriage and divorce we looked at last week or the week prior to that, of how discipleship means faithfulness in our relationship to God and faithfulness with our relationships to others and there are no deeper earthly relationships than the context of marriage and immediately following this discussion of marriage we we find Mark talking about children and it should come as no surprise because it is in the context of marriage and the context of husband and wife coming together that children are oftentimes the product of that Remember the old nursery rhyme, first comes love, then comes marriage, and then comes what? So-and-so pushing the baby carriage. And, and so Mark in his gospel is moving from that, that sphere of family relationships dealing with marriage, and then immediately we have this story following that about children. And so we see a, a connection in there, but there is also something else going on in here. And I mentioned it earlier in my introduction that back in chapter 9, Mark, for the second time, has Jesus predicting his upcoming crucifixion, the second passion prediction. And flowing from that passion prediction, we see Jesus correcting uh, some of the attitude uh, issues of the disciples, how they were arguing who was the greatest and so forth. And he begins to teach them in light of the cross, in light of the what Jesus has done for us as we are following him, if Jesus is a servant to all, we also must be servants. If Jesus loves the least of these, so we must also love the least of these as we are following in his footsteps. And so we find today here another situation where Jesus needs to correct his disciples 
and show them what being a true follower of Jesus really is all about. It is a lesson ultimately in humility. And in this passage, we see a few things that pop out at us that I believe that we would be wise to listen to and obey in our own lives. And the first one is this. Bring children to Jesus. We need to bring children to Jesus. We see the importance of missions and evangelism all throughout Scripture that we have a calling on our lives to reach the lost so that they might hear the gospel, respond in faith, and become disciples of Jesus. And that includes, and I believe especially, even at the youngest of ages. And I believe we see part of that in this story today, that we are to bring children to Jesus. The first thing we see in verse 13, it's the parents' responsibility. The parents' responsibility. It says in verse 13, and they were bringing children to him so that he might touch them. Now, who is the they? Well, I believe it's probably most likely their parents or grandparents or other adults who were loving influences on these children's lives and they desired for these children to come into contact with Jesus because they had heard about Jesus perhaps they had listened to Jesus and they had witnessed perhaps Jesus doing some marvelous things and they said you know what I want my children to be exposed to and respond to this man I want this man to pronounce his blessing on my little ones and it's not an unusual thing even in our society today for, for parents to want their kids to, to come to church. Even sometimes parents who themselves don't come to church, but they want their kids to grow up in church. They want their children to be influenced by the teachings of the church. And we saw that going on in the time of Jesus. But we also need to ask ourselves, if we really want to influence our children for Jesus, what's the best way to do that? Is it just simply to, to send them to Jesus, or is it to also be with them and accompany them when we bring them to Jesus? In other words, our children learn not only by what we say, but by following our example. And as we bring our children to Jesus, they need to see us coming to Jesus as well. In this text it says, and they were bringing children to him. In the New Testament that word is referring to not only infants, but also refers to uh, children as old as 12 years old. And so I think it teaches us there is a, an importance of bringing children early and often, exposing them to the truths of Christ. That it's not just the responsibility when they are little, but as, as, as much time as we have to influence them, we need to seize those opportunities. The parents' responsibility. It's not the church's primary role to teach children about Jesus. The church is to supplement what is going on in the home. Because as influential as the church is, on the lives and the hearts and the minds of little ones, the church cannot possibly hold and wield the influence that their own parents have on their lives. And so we need to bring children to Jesus. It's the parents' responsibility. But in this story, we also see the disciples' rebuke. It says at the end of verse 13, it says they were bringing the children to Jesus so that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. The disciples were, were turning away these parents with their children and were not told exactly why 
they were doing this. Maybe they thought, well, Jesus is too busy. He's got other more important things to do. He's got other things on his plate. It is our responsibility to act as a buffer between the crowds and Jesus. And so you all need to get out of here. Maybe they thought Jesus was too busy. Maybe they thought children were too much of a distraction because, you, quite frankly, we all know children can be loud. <laughs> children can be messy. You never know what you're going to get when you get children in the picture. And so maybe they thought, well, we don't want all this distraction going on. We don't need all of this, this noise. We don't need this disruption. There is, a, there is adult stuff going on here that children will just get in the way. So you all need to get these kids out of here. And by the way, it says they rebuked them. It's a very strong word. It's, it's a word that, that implies there was a great deal of force behind what they were doing. They weren't just saying, okay, you know, not now. Could you all please go on uh, maybe next time? No, they were, they were forcefully turning these parents away and their, and their children, almost as they were saying, how dare you bring these kids to Jesus? Don't you realize who he is? He doesn't have time to deal with you and your little ones. Get out of here. Go. Go. Very strong word referring to the way they were treating these parents and their children. And we remember back in chapter 9 when Jesus used the, the child as an object lesson to the disciples using the child of saying, this is an example of, of the least and the lowest of my followers, and whoever wants to be greatest needs to serve these children, receive a child in my name. In other words, to, to love on those whom we might see as insignificant, to love them in Jesus' name. And how quickly the disciples had forgotten that lesson. It's almost as if Jesus had never even uttered that. Because here we see them, instead of receiving the children, turning them away. It's another picture of the spiritual blindness and the dullness of the disciples. They had just not quite grasped what Jesus was teaching. And that's part of discipleship, that we learn and we, and we process and we experience. And, and hopefully we grow and sometimes we take steps back, but there needs to continually be a forward progress. The disciples rebuke. And then we see the Lord's reaction. And this is one of the rare occasions in the Gospels where we see Jesus pictured as angry. Verse 14 says, And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. It means he blew his top. It wasn't like Jesus was like, Now, disciples, you know better. Come on. No. He wigged out. He, he, was, he was belligerent. How dare you turn them away? Come on. He was angry. I believe he was angry, number one, because of the spiritual hardness of the disciples' hearts. He'd already taught them the importance of receiving children in his name, and here they are turning them away, and it's like Jesus is saying, don't you get it? He's angry at them, but he's also angry because he loves children. His affection for these children, and he is, he is upset because of what they are doing to these children. They are forbidding these kids from coming into contact with him. 
his reaction. He saw this. And understand that. When, when we hinder children from coming to Jesus, he sees this. And he is angry about this. If he was angry then, what makes us think he would not be angry now when we do not permit children to come to him, when we don't bring children to Jesus, when we hinder them? The text says, permit them to come to me. Do not hinder them. In other words, it's saying, it's a, it's a command, and it is also a present tense command. It means cease hindering them and never hinder them. This is a command that carries my authority from this point forward. Stop hindering them from coming to me. Which we need to ask ourselves this question. How might we be hindering children? Jesus says, permit them to come to me. How might we be hindering children from coming to Jesus? We've already discussed one way, I believe, a lack of exposure. How could we expect children to come to Jesus if they don't even know who Jesus is? If they don't know why they should come to Jesus? If we're not exposing them to the truths of Jesus, if we're not surrounding them in an environment where the people of Jesus gather and where the worship of Jesus takes place, if they're not exposed to these truths, we are hindering them from coming to Jesus. We also, I think, hinder children from coming to Jesus when there is a lack of, a, of attention, a lack of awareness. We, we go around in this community and we can see the signs of children everywhere. You see toys and bicycles, basketballs, all over the place. Those children need to come to Jesus. And we as the believers and followers of Jesus, if their, children aren't, if their parents aren't bringing them, we need to be going and trying to invite them to come. Are we hindering children by not inviting children and families to church? Or another way I believe that we hinder children from coming to Jesus is not a lack of something, it's plenty of something, and maybe that is hypocrisy. That's saying one thing with our lips and then our actions speak something else. That's by telling kids, you need to come to Jesus. You need to follow Jesus. Jesus needs to make a difference in your life. But then when they look at us, they see absolutely no difference that Jesus is making in our lives. And that's true for parents. That's true for grandparents. That's true for anybody in this church. If children are seeing us as Christians, not behaving as Christians should, we are hindering them from coming to Jesus. And by the way, Jesus says in this passage here, permit them to come to me, for the kingdom of God belongs to these. Jesus is equating himself with the kingdom of God. If you come to me, you come to the kingdom. If you hinder them from coming to me, you're hindering them from coming to the kingdom. The object of faith, Jesus acknowledges, is himself. We need to bring children to Jesus because that is how children come to the kingdom. Bring children to Jesus. But secondly, we see in this passage, I believe, that we need to become children for Jesus. Become children for Jesus because children personify the necessary characteristics of being a follower of Christ. 
Become children for Jesus. In verse 14, we see, the, first of all, the kingdom reality. Jesus says, but when, it says, when he saw this, he said to them, permit the children to come to me and do not hinder them for, because the reason why he does not want them to be hindered is because the kingdom of God belongs to such of these. Jesus is speaking as, as, as the kingdom of God is a, a certainty, a reality. He says, do not permit them because there is a, such a thing as the kingdom of God. As the kingdom of God that belongs to such as these. In other words, our goal should always be to possess to be in possession of the kingdom of God, to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, to be underneath the authority and the benevolence of King Jesus. That should be our goal. The kingdom of God, the reality of a, a kingdom life is there for your possession. The question is, how does that reality become your reality Jesus speaks to that when he shows us the kingdom requirement. The requirement in verse 15. It says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child. Jesus is saying you must receive the kingdom of God as a child if you are to enter it. He starts this statement by saying, Truly, Truly I say to you, amen, I say to you. This is a statement that's deserving our full attention. Truly, Jesus says, amen, I say to you. So he wants them to, to truly listen to and grasp this thing. It's a very crucial statement. Truly I say to you. But notice also in this you see the authority of Jesus. Truly I say to you. He is displaying his authority here and he is pronouncing a decision about kingdom of God stuff. Well, who makes Jesus? Why is Jesus the expert on the kingdom of God? Because he is God. Truly I say to you, Jesus says, you're not going to enter the kingdom unless you enter in the way I say you must enter. He has the right as the king to establish the requirements of being a citizen of his kingdom. Truly I say to you, he says, you must receive the kingdom of God like a child. Which poses the next question. What does he mean by that? Receiving the kingdom of God like a child. For some, it's saying, well, children are so sweet. They're so innocent. And so we must be sweet and innocent. The problem is, children aren't always sweet. <laughs> They're not always innocent. If you spend any time around little ones, if you spend any time around teenagers you realize hey that's not always the case now there's times when they are sweet there's times they display innocent characteristics but is that what Jesus is really saying is he teaching that children are, are sinless 
the Bible indicates we've all sinned and fall short of the God. In, in Adam, all have sinned, Paul says. So children are born like we are with a sin nature. And so that's not what Jesus is saying. So what is he saying to be like a child? Well, we've talked about back in chapter 9 the way in which children in that society were perceived. How did people look at children in that day? Well, they were looked at as insignificant. They weren't old enough to, to work yet. They were looked at as, as helpless and weak, dependent. And Jesus is saying, this is the attitude you must display. If you want to enter into the kingdom of God, you must be like this child. You must be weak, realizing you can't work yourself into heaven. You're not strong enough to overcome your inadequacies. You need a handout. You are dependent. You are insignificant in the eyes of the world. You humble yourself to the lowest possible position and say, I need help. If I don't receive help from an outside source, I will not survive. And Jesus says, to enter the kingdom of God, you need that attitude. You've got a problem, and that problem is called sin, and you cannot overcome that sin unless you receive a gracious gift from your heavenly Father. And that gift is Jesus. To become a kingdom citizen, the requirement is you must humble yourself, acknowledge your need. You need forgiveness. And you throw yourself on the mercy of God in hopes that you will find that forgiveness that's the kingdom requirement. If you will humble yourself, Jesus says, you can possess and enter the kingdom of God. However, what if you do not humble yourself and receive the kingdom of God like a child? We see at the end of verse 15, the kingdom rejection. He says, whoever, and by the way, whoever, he has been saying this all throughout chapters 8, 9, and 10, there are choices to make in regards to discipleship. Whoever, he says, chooses to humble themselves like a child, they will receive the kingdom of God. But whoever does not receive the kingdom of God in this way, they will not enter it at all. It's a very emphatic negative statement. There is no way, never, ever, 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 you will enter the kingdom of God unless you humble yourself like a child, confess your sins, acknowledge your need for a Savior, and beg His forgiveness. He says that is the only way. A refusal to do that, you will never, ever, 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 never, no, not. I know there's a lot of double negatives going on there. But in Greek, that's grammatically correct. He is saying there is no way possible you will ever enter into God's kingdom unless you first acknowledge you need grace you need forgiveness if you do not receive the kingdom of God in childlike faith 
in the present. You will not enter the kingdom of God in the future. It's based on this condition. This past Wednesday night, uh, I've asked her permission to share this story. This past Wednesday night uh, at fellowship meal, before we ate, Abby was going around and she had this little sheet of paper and she was asking many of you questions. Those of y'all were there, she was, she had all these characteristics listed out and asked which one of these characteristics describe you, describe your personality. And there were things on there: are you courageous? Are you uh, and, and and other adjectives. And she was asking Nancy, you know, these things. And one of the one of the words on there was childish. You know, are you childish? And uh, Nancy laughed and she said, "Yep, that describes me." And I kept my mouth shut. <laughs> But uh, it's funny because, you know, when our world, our society hears the word childish, a lot of times it's in a negative connotation, isn't it? But spiritually speaking, that's what Jesus values in his followers. Maybe not so much childish, but maybe childlike. He's already indicated if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you've got to be childlike. You've got to be dependent, you've got to be weak, you've got to be helpless, and you've got to receive from your Heavenly Father. We need to become, Jesus, become children for Jesus. And finally, we need to bless children like Jesus. We see in verse 16, His sincere love for kids is on public display. And I believe His actions here are parabolic. That means His actions are displaying and teaching a story. They're teaching a truth, the way He responds to and treats these little ones. And then, by the way, the correlation too, that if Jesus treats them in, in this way, we also need to treat children in this way because Jesus treating the children in this way is teaching a heavenly truth the way we are treated by our heavenly Father. So the way, children, the way Jesus treats these kids teaches believers that when we have the faith of a child and we enter the kingdom of God like a child, this is the way we're going to be treated by God. And so our treatment of kids communicates a great spiritual truth that they need to learn. We see in the life of Jesus that he displays his affections for them. In verse 16 it says, And he took them in his arms. He took them into his arms. And through that we see, I believe, an appropriate touch is always called for whether we hug a child or, or sometimes what I'll do is I'll come by I'll pat them on the head you know, you know rub them on the top of the head you know just something let them know, you know I have affection for you because church needs to be a place where kids can come and feel loved and to experience how much Jesus loves them because the way we treat them is the way they're going to, they're going to perceive how Jesus treats them and it also reminds us when we show affection to children how much more does God show affection to us? So display His affections. But secondly, display His acceptance. It says in verse 16, And He took them in His arms and He began blessing them. You know, He went above and beyond what was asked of Him, was He not? 
Because it says that they were bringing the children to Jesus so he might touch them. And he says, I'll do you one better than that. I'm not just going to touch them. I'm going to wrap my arms around them. I'm going to wrap my arms around them. And that, that we see the acceptance of Jesus. I think we should have this to be a place where children can know they can come and be themselves. And through the process of our loving them and accepting them and teaching them, they learn to become disciples of Jesus. And sometimes we expect children to act like adults. But they're children. And we need to remind ourselves of this. And we are children of faith to God, and we likewise need to be taught. But we come to Jesus just as we are, and He accepts us as such. And says, I love you. Let me teach you what it means to be a follower of mine. Let this be a place where children learn what it means to be accepted by Jesus and be taught what it means to follow Jesus. Display His acceptance. Finally, display His assurance. It says in verse 16, He took them in His arms, which means He either picked them up to His level or He stooped down to their level. One or the other. Maybe a little of both. Took them in His arms and He began blessing them, laying His hands on them. Laying His hands on them. This should be a place where children can come and know if they give themselves to Christ, they are forever in His hands. Because the Scripture says, Jesus Himself says in John chapter 10, all that my Father has given me are in my hands and no one will ever snatch them from my hands. We need to let this be a place of grace and forgiveness so that children can know, you know, if I, if I fall... If my commitment to Jesus is, is, is sincere, I will never fall out of His grip. He will not love me any less than He loves me now. He will not love me any more than He loves me now. His love for me is beyond measure and it always has been and it always will be. We communicate that when we display His assurance to children. Let this be a place of grace and forgiveness and never abandonment. Because what does that communicate theologically about God? I studied this passage over the last couple of weeks. I thought about us as a church and, and some of the, the things that we have done, the, the changes we have implemented and the steps we have taken in our church to be a, a more kid-friendly kind of place. You know, we built the playground you know, shortly after I came here. Uh, we have remodeled the nursery, the, the infant room, and the preschool room, and, and uh, we have we have changed classes around. We've added classes. We have we have divided up the age groups as our our children's group has begun to grow. We we have divided them by age groups so that we could better you know meet their needs according to uh, their age level. But even more than that, there have been people stepping up, volunteering and teaching and adding new classes and teaching missions groups and, and doing necessary things, volunteering to display the love of God to our children. 
And I'm so grateful that we are a church that has made those commitments to try to reach the younger generation. And you ask any church this question. Would you like to have more young people in your church? Would you like to have more young families in your church? And overwhelmingly, I believe churches will say, yes, we would love to have young families in our church. We would love to have children in our church. And then the question becomes, why is that? Well, obviously there's practical reasons because if you don't have youth in the church, eventually when the older people die and go on to be with the Lord, there's nobody left. So practically speaking, we need younger people in the church, do we not? We like to have young people in the church because they make us laugh, they make us smile, they're, they're, uh, they bring joy to our lives. And so practically speaking, it's, it's good to have young people and children in the church. Practically speaking, but you know what? There are spiritual reasons why we should desire children in our church. Why is that? The enemy hates children. Satan despises children. How do we know that? Well, we are created in the image of God and every time there is a human being born in this world, there is what? A, a, a display of the image of God. Satan hates anything that bears God's image and we are image bearers of God. And so Satan hates that. But also, every time a child is born, it reminds him of that promise, that curse, back in Genesis chapter 3, where God said, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. In other words, there will be a baby that is born that one day will destroy you, Satan. And every time a baby is born, it reminds him of that word of God. And all throughout Scripture, whether it be the children in Egypt being slaughtered, the children of Bethlehem in Matthew being slaughtered. All throughout the ages, some of the worst atrocities known to mankind have been and are being perpetrated on children. Satan hates children. And another reason he hates them is because what this passage has already taught us. Children are a reflection to us of what we need to be like spiritually to enter God's kingdom. That God has so designed children in such a strategic fashion that they show us by their actions and by their, their helplessness and, and by their acceptance what we need to be like to enter God's kingdom. They're a perfect picture of those characteristics for us. Satan hates that. And so we, as the people of God, want to see children in our church because they remind us, first of all, they bear the image of God. They are, they are worthy of our respect. They also remind us of that promise from God of, that salvation would come through one who was born of a woman and that was Jesus Christ. And they remind us as we watch them and and observe them the characteristics that you and I need to have to enter into God's kingdom. So there are spiritual reasons why our church needs to be a kid-friendly zone. Why is that? Because kid-friendly zones are kingdom zones. 
Wherever you have children, you have a display of what it means and what it takes to enter into the kingdom of God. And in this passage, Jesus loves the little children. And therefore, so should we. Jesus said we need to become like children. Therefore, let us become children. Let us acknowledge humbly our need for a Savior and receive that gift of eternal life. Let's pray together.